no big secret, skiing and snowboarding comes with a certain amount of barriers to entry, cost, accessibility. Our, our mission uh, as a company at Snow Operating is to grow the sports of skiing and snowboarding. And if you look at everything that we do, from terrain-based learning to getting involved with Mountain Creek to getting involved with Big Snow, it, it all feeds back to that. It's all about introducing more people to the sports, giving them a better experience, and hopefully turning them into lifelong skiers and snowboarders. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. The Storm Skiing Podcast explores the business, history, and culture of Northeast skiing. Subscribe to the Storm Skiing Newsletter for free at skiing.substack.com to get all Storm Skiing Podcasts and content as soon as they're live. You can download the Storm Skiing Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and Pocket Cast. Follow us on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal and on Facebook. Episode 14, Hugh Reynolds, Vice President of Marketing and Sales at Snow Operating. So right to it. What is Snow Operating? Well, they are the owners of Mountain Creek, and they are the operators of the indoor Big Snow American Dream Ski Center, both of which are in New Jersey. They also created the terrain-based learning program, which you may not be familiar with if you haven't learned how to ski recently. And they invented SnowCloud point-of-sale software. Uh, if you're a regular reader of the Storm Skiing newsletter, you know my opinion of Big Snow. I think that it is the single most important ski area in America. I'm serious about that. There is no better machine for introducing skiers to the sport. It's affordable. It's organized. It's not intimidating. It has perfect conditions at all times. And it sits right in the heart of the New York City metro area. 20 million people live there, and there are tens of millions of annual tourists. And yes, they are the majority owners of Mountain Creek. I know a lot of you are dismissive of Mountain Creek, and I think that's a mistake. I think Mountain Creek is the most misunderstood ski area in the Northeast. At its core, it's a terrific mountain. It's got 1,000 feet of vert. It's huge. The lift system is really good. The snowmaking is outstanding. And if you live in New York City, it's right there. The season pass is $230. It's only an hour and 15 minutes from my apartment. It's a really good alternative when I can't get upstate or to Vermont or any of the other places that I like to go. So yeah, the place is a little wild. It's in New Jersey. It attracts a lot of people who have no idea what the hell they're doing. But Mountain Creek's just like anywhere. You have to know when to go and you have to know how to work the mountain. And by the way, the new owners are really putting a lot of money into the place. They're reshaping it. They're reinvesting in it. For a ski area that has gotten almost zero natural snow for two seasons running, they're doing a really remarkable job keeping that place going. So Snow Operating runs those two places, and they do a whole lot more. I reached out to them. Their founder, Joe Hessian, was not available, but I was able to connect with Hugh, their marketing and sales guy. And he was really outstanding. We had a great conversation. Uh, if you care about the future of skiing, you're going to be very interested in what he has to say, even if you never plan on booting up in New Jersey. Let's do it. My guest today is the Vice President of Marketing and Sales at Snow Operating. He helped launch the innovative terrain-based learning program, which is now in place at more than three dozen resorts across North America. Snow Operating owns Big Snow American Dream in New Jersey, which is North America's first and only year-round indoor ski and snow area. They also own Mountain Creek, the closest ski area to New York City with at least a 1,000-foot vertical drop. Snow Operating also runs SnowCloud, point-of-sale software. Hugh Reynolds is my guest. Hugh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Stuart. Big Snow has been open for almost three months now. 
Early reports indicated that you were cycling around 2,000 skiers per day through there. That is a really great start. Are you keeping that momentum? Yeah, the um, the response has been amazing uh, since we opened. You know, we're we're ahead of what we projected in terms of budget uh, budget and uh, visitation. So we're we're super pleased with how things are going thus far. You know, we had the benefit of going right into the Christmas holiday um, after opening on December fifth. Uh, and uh, we've had strong visitation through MLK holiday, President's Week. Uh, so we're, we're doing well. It, uh, people, pe- people seem to like, like what we're doing, which is always a good thing. And not to overgeneralize, but can you give us a sense of the kind of skiers you're seeing there? Because it, it seems to me like it's ski season. There's no shortage of places to go. Are you seeing mostly these first-timers, these curious folks who are kind of showing up for the experience and saying, hey, what is this? Yeah, we're we're seeing some really interesting things uh at Big Snow. You know, we're 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 seeing everyone. I would say 50% or more of our guests are, are first time never ever uh on snow before, which is amazing. Um and and which is something that we we kind of thought would would happen. That that was one of our, you know, one of our uh, assumptions going into this. Um but we're also seeing some really cool things with the more core user um, you know, we're, we're seeing people that are using big snow kind of like the gym of skiing and mm-hmm. snowboarding. Um, so if they're strapped for time and they can't get to the outdoor resorts and they live close by, they're coming out with us to get their time on snow. Um, we see this a lot when the weather's bad outdoors. So, you know, when it's raining outside, uh, we can we can usually predict a 20 to 30% increase in attendance because people who would have went to an outdoor resort otherwise decide to come indoors for that day. So we're we're seeing some really cool things um and we're seeing all kinds of all kinds of users from professional skiers and snowboarders to people who never thought of going to an outdoor resort in their life and because of the novelty of big snow and the accessibility um they're finding themselves at our doorstep. And have you had any interest from some of these professional folks like the racers or the park kids like these groups that usually if they want to train in the summer they have to like go up to the glacier in Whistler or go to South America. Have you heard from any of these groups who are like, "Hey, you have this thing. It's right in New Jersey. It's easy to get to because it's close to this metropolitan area with all these transportation options. What what is your summer schedule like? Can we use this thing?" Yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing that. I, I get at least an inquiry a day from a race club or a team um, or a park enthusiast who is looking to make Big Snow their summer home. Um, or to use big snow for training in in the warm season months. You know, we we haven't put a lot of thought to what that's going to look like yet, um, just because we're still getting our feet underneath us with all of our our, our primary products. Um, but I imagine that this is something that we'll definitely do. Um, we actually had the U.S. ski team representatives out on a couple of occasions now to look at big snow as a training opportunity for them. So instead of having to travel to Europe in the summer. Um, you know, could they do something domestically here uh, utilizing big snow? So I definitely imagine that that's something we're going to get involved with, and uh, and there will be opportunities for competitive uh, racers um, and and uh, everyone everyone else who uh, would like to get on snow for training purposes in the off season. It's going to be interesting to see how you balance that the, the public desire to have that open with um, these private groups that'll want to use it because I'd imagine they have a, a fairly intensive 
uh, use period, right, where when they need it, they, they can't be dodging other people on the slopes. They're, they're going to need to be in it. Um, I mean, you have the, the benefit of being able to be open as much as you need to be open, but um, it, are, are you going to be watching that closely to see how that evolves and, and how you block that time and how much access you give to the public versus these groups that want to rent it out for their events? Yeah, there, there's a couple of models that we can go down the road of. You know, one is is private buyout, right? So if if you wanted to buy out the facility for for your own private use, that that's certainly an option that we're entertaining. Um, it, it would have to make sense from a business standpoint for us in terms of the the opportunity cost of the revenue that we would be foregoing um, just opening the doors normally for for that period of time. You know, then then there's the the ice skating rink model where you know you have you have unutilized space, usually early in the morning or late in the evening. Can you fill it with some of these training, um, with some of these training groups? You know, the challenge that we have to navigate around is it, it takes a certain amount of time for us to reset the hill each night in terms of making snow, grooming the snow, letting it set, and be ready for guests in the morning. So it, it, it shortens our windows of opportunity a little bit, but I, I think some combination of those two is, is very likely. So I want to go back to the beginners for a minute. Uh, $70 for a two-hour session that includes a lift ticket, gear, clothing, and instruction. It's even cheaper if you come with your own gear. That's really incredible, and I can't tell you, this solves a huge problem for me because for years, obviously I'm an enthusiastic skier. I want my friends to enjoy it, get out and try it. When I start to look at the price of just getting there, renting gear, having the right clothes, the lift ticket, it, it, I can rarely figure out how to do it for less than 200 bucks, and, that, and so I just don't take people. This solves that problem for me, and I would imagine it solves it for a lot of people who wanted to try skiing or wanted to bring their friends to try skiing. Uh, can you take us into your decision to keep this price so low and make this thing so accessible? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, no, no, uh, no big secret. Uh, skiing and snowboarding comes with a certain amount of barriers to entry. Cost is is often one of the most popular reasons people give. Um, to not get involved with the sport, um, accessibility is is a close second. You know, we knew from the start with Big Snow, it was going to be all about removing those barriers of entry. You know, our our mission uh, as a company at Snow Operating is to grow the sports of skiing and snowboarding. And if you look at everything that we do, from terrain-based learning to getting involved with Mountain Creek to getting involved with Big Snow, it, it all feeds back to that. It's all about introducing more people to the sports giving them a better experience, and hopefully turning them into lifelong skiers and snowboarders. What our thought process was with Big Snow was, you know, we we have this great opportunity, you know, talk about accessibility, right? Not only do you have access to snow 12 months out of the year, which before before Big Snow opening was was unheard of, you know, in, in, this, in this country. So not only do you have the access to snow, whenever you want, but we, we sit in the heart of such a densely populated area. You know, we're, we're right here in the New York, uh, New Jersey metropolitan area. There's 20 million plus people who live within an hour drive radius of, of our facility. So, you know, you have, you have accessibility in terms of you can get on snow whenever you want. You have accessibility in terms of it's a short drive to get here. Um, you know, a lot of our guests live inside of 30 minutes from from the center. So then you start looking at what are some of the other barriers to entry. 
um, equipment, right? If, if you don't ski or snowboard, it's unlikely that you have access to the equipment that you need to, to do so. You know, and, and resorts have always given the, the hard good equipment, the, the skis, the snowboards, the boots, the bindings, helmets. Um, but the one thing that most resorts don't think about is clothing. You know, um, if you don't spend a lot of time out in snow, you probably don't have a, a good ski jacket or snow pants. You know, so we, we just wanted to remove as many barriers of entry as we could. So providing the clothing, you know, making the locker included, providing complimentary instruction for, for beginners who need it. You know, we, we didn't want our guests to feel like we were trying to nickel and dime them. So we came up with a price that we, we were comfortable with, that we, we knew that we could make uh, the revenue that we would need or, or hopefully make the revenue that we need to pay our bills, but price it at a place where um, it, it seemed approachable to someone who's never done these sports before. Yeah, I live in New York City, and I can't tell you how many of my friends who have never expressed interest in skiing before, since this place opened, they're like, hey, I want to go to Big Snow with you. How much thought have you given to the day two experience. So once someone goes to Big Snow, how do you get them back to try it again uh, or move them on to Mountain Creek? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and we're already seeing a lot of organic repeat visitation, mu much more so than than I anticipated. You know, as, as I think you're aware, we, we don't sell a season pass product at Big Snow. Um, and, and that was a that was a, a calculated decision. You know, we, we deal with the capacity issue in terms of how many people we can accommodate for in the in the snow dome at any one time. And, um, you know, we didn't want to fill it with season pass holders not knowing what our, our demand was going to look like. So we don't have a season pass product, but we do have a multi-visit all-inclusive package product. So for $129, you can get three anytime visits that include everything you need to, to get on snow. So, you know, the outerwear, the, the helmet, the, the rental equipment, the locker, the lesson. Um, we, we've been selling a, a good amount of those. And we also have partnerships in place with outdoor resorts. So, you know, our, our ultimate goal is, is, yes, we want our guests to come back and ski with us or snowboard with us again at Big Snow, but we also want them to go and experience what skiing and snowboarding is like in the outdoor environment because, you know that that's where the the magic of the sport really is, where you can connect with the beauty of nature, and you know those those feelings of being out on a real mountain and conquering your first blue square or black diamond trail. You know we we give them a taste of what that's like here at Big Snow, uh, but we can't compete with what outdoor resorts can offer. So we have partnerships with Mountain Creek, of course, because we're we're affiliated, but we also have partnerships with Blue Mountain in Pennsylvania, uh, Jiminy Peak in Massachusetts, Bromley in Vermont, Cranmore in New Hampshire. So, you know, we, we push offers from our partner resorts to our guests uh, in, in hopes that we can encourage them now that they've had a good experience here with us at Big Snow to go and have uh, the continuation of that journey in the outdoor environment. And are you looking to grow that network of affiliated resorts or partner resorts? Yeah, I think you know, I think as Big Snow continues to grow and um, an American Dream continues to come online, it's going to become a tourist destination unto itself. So right now, a lot of our guests are coming from the the tri-state area for the most part. You know, and, and we've we've seen some international guests and and some guests from. Uh, points further away uh, domestically here in the United States, but but by and large, you know we're we're pulling from like a one to one and a half hour drive radius right now. I, I think as American Dream becomes a tourist destination onto its own, like like Mall of America has in Minneapolis, we're going to start to see guests coming from all over the United.
United States and, and, and the world. So ideally, we'd love to have a partner resort in every region. So no matter where you come from, if you start with us here at Big Snow, we can connect you with a resort that's close to home for you um, that you can continue your journey with. And have any of the big conglomerates, Altera or Vail or even the Indie Pass, have any of them approached you for a partnership or even just um, to find out what you're doing? Yeah, we're we're having uh, we're having a lot of conversations with a lot of different people. I think rightfully so, and maybe I'm a little biased, but everyone is, is seems to be pretty excited about the opportunity that that Big Snow offers. So uh, you know, nothing I can talk about officially, but but yeah, we're having lots of conversations, and you know, we're we're looking for good partnerships that make sense for us and and for our guests. Interesting quote from Joe Hessian, uh, Big Snow's founder, the Colorado Sun. He said, we're not running a ski resort. We are operating this like an amusement park. Can you talk a little more about what Joe meant by that? Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty accurate. So here, here at Big Snow, yes, we're, we're running a, a ski area, but we're not running a ski area in the sense that an outdoor resort operates. You know, I, I mentioned it earlier. We have a, we have a capacity issue that we have to deal with. You know, we, we only, can fit so many people on our slope at any one time, um, which is something that outdoor resorts, by and large, don't really have to deal with. They have they have unlimited ability to flex and expand with crowding, uh, you know, up up to the point that that they can't fit any more people in the parking lot. Right, that's probably their limiting factor. For us, the the on snow experience is our limiting factor. So everything that we've done here at Big Snow is is designed to create a um, create a, a, a cyclical system that uh, as, as guests are entering the experience at the arrival point, guests who came before them are, are exiting at the end of their time, and um, we're, we're creating a continuous flow of guests throughout the day. So how, how do we do that? All of the products we sell here at Big Snow have a specific amount of time associated with them. Um, so our base ticket is a two-hour ticket. It gets you two hours of time on snow, and that time doesn't begin until you get scanned into the snow dome for the first mm -hmm. time. We encourage everyone to pre-purchase their tickets um, to ensure availability. And, and during the holiday weeks, if you didn't pre-purchase your ticket, you weren't going to be able to ski with us because we were fully sold out, uh, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So we have arrival windows that occur every 15 minutes. So we're, we're open from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., the first arrival window of the day is 10 to 10.15, 10.15 to 10.30. Uh, we dynamically price our products online, uh, meaning that the pricing varies based on what the demand is for the session that you're looking at. So if you want to come at 10 a.m. and get first tracks, you're going to pay a premium for that. But if you're willing to come at 10.30 or 10.45, you might be able to save yourself a couple of, couple of dollars. We also limit the amount of uh, guests that we sell into each arrival slot. So we only sell 50 guests into each 15-minute window. So all of this is designed to stretch the demand curve over a greater period of time um, as opposed to the outdoor resorts where everyone typically shows up at the same time in the morning in one giant crush and they all typically leave at the same time at the end of the day. You know, we, we have to think a little bit more critically about how we manage guest flow. And as we talked about earlier, for many of our guests, this is their first introduction to what skiing and snowboarding is like. Um, so we want it to be the best experience that 
that it can be for them. Um, and because we have a controlled environment and we have this highly designed process, we have the opportunity to do things that you might not have in the outdoor environment. So it's a little bit more theatrical. Uh, it's a little bit more experiential, less transactional. You know, we often uh, joke to ourselves, you know, what, what would Disney do if they were designing a ski area? And that's not to say that we want things to be inauthentic and animatronic, but if you look at what they do for guest experience and and you know how how they design the arrival experiences for the ride, not just thinking about the ride itself, but thinking about what waiting in line for the ride feels like. We we try and we try to take that same mentality into what we're doing here at Big Snow. In that same Colorado Sun article, it was really focused on diversity, and skiing has a reputation as being a very white sport. And aside from climate change, diversity is probably what I would say is skiing's largest existential issue. It seems like Big Snow is attracting a much more diverse clientele. Can you help us understand who you're seeing at the facility and what that could mean for diversity in snow sports long term? Yeah, um, yeah, we, we do see a very diverse clientele here, um, a much more urban clientele than, than we see even at Mountain Creek, which is only, you know, an hour and 15 minutes off the road. You know, we, we've had people come down here to, to tour Big Snow, and, and they always comment on it. They comment on the diversity we have among our staff um, and the diversity that we see among our guests. And and for for us, for for Joe and myself and and the rest of the the team, you know, we're we're kind of we're kind of immune to it because we live here. You know, we we live in New Jersey. We grew up in New Jersey, and we feel like our staff and our guests represents what the population of New Jersey looks like, right? So I I don't know if we're doing anything directly targeted. I, I mean, I know we're not doing anything that's directly targeted to to attract certain ethnic groups over others. I just think we're getting a good representation of what the population looks like here, and we're seeing that in the staff that we that we hired, and we're seeing it in the guests that are coming out here. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll we'll be able to uh, connect some of those guests to the sport, and then they'll make their way out to, you know, other areas of the country that don't uh, that that don't have that same level of diversity in their in their local communities. It's funny, though, because as you mentioned, Mountain Creek is right there, and it's always been there, and Camp Gaw is right there as well. What do you think it is about the Big Snow experience that might appeal to these more non-traditional demographics than that traditional ski experience? Do you think it's just where it is, or, or, or that amusement park experience you described, or, or is it something else? Yeah, I, I, I think what we're seeing with Big Snow is the results of a couple of different phenomenon. You know, one is there's definitely this cachet to American Dream. Right, you know this long-awaited project here at the Meadowlands, and and people want to see it and they want to be a part of it. So I I think un, undoubtedly we're benefiting from that. I think that's being compounded by the accessibility that we talked about. So the idea, if you've never skied or snowboarded before, the idea of getting in a car, if you even have a car, and driving to a, a ski area, Camp Gaw, Mountain Creek the Poconos, you know, it's, it's a pretty big commitment for, for you to, to, to be, be willing to make, you know, not only the commitment of money, um, which we talked about, but the commitment of time, you know, you're, you're going to be in the car for over an hour and you don't know what to expect. You've never done this before. You don't know if you're going to like it. You're, you're going to a place where people don't look like you. So it can be unnerving. And, and I think, you know, our accessibility for guests you know, the idea that you're going to a mall that you can take 
public transportation to get here. You could take an Uber to get here. You can take a Lyft to get here, or it, or it's only a 20 or 30 minute drive. Just just makes it that much more approachable, and I think that's what we're seeing. Do you think the simplicity helps too? Because I've been to a lot of ski areas, but every time I go to a new one, I'm a little bit off kilter because there's so many buildings. There's so many parking lots. It's a big kind of intimidating place. And you look at Mountain Creek, and it has these two base areas, and they're two miles apart, and you park in the one area, and you have to cross a bridge, and there's all these buildings. And it's just, it's a lot, right? But, you know, American Dream, you just, you walk in the door, and they're like, okay, here's your keys, here's your locker, here's your this, here's your that, this is where you go. And there's not many options. Do you think that helps? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you you look at Mountain Creek, you know, we probably have about a thousand different products that we sell in, in all their different variations and, you know, age categories. And it, it's confusing. You know, I, I think you're exactly right. And we, we talk about this a lot with our, our partner resorts on the train-based learning side. You know, if, if you look at the way that we speak to our guests, for the most part, resorts speak to an intermediate or better or snowboarder. You speak to people who, who know what skiing and snowboarding is and they know what they need and um, and they know how to navigate the system. We don't do a really good job speaking to people who've never tried our sports before. You know, I remember when I first started working at Mountain Creek, I'd spend time working the ticket windows, you know, when it was uh, high demand periods and it was all hands on deck. And, you know, some of the questions that you get from guests would make you scratch your head. You know, something as simple as, uh, you know, do I need, do you need rentals today? And, and the response would be, I don't know. What, what are rentals, right? Like, what, what, or, or do I need a lift ticket? You know, I, I don't know. I've never skied before. Am I going to go on the chairlift? So things that we take for granted, it's, it's a totally foreign language to somebody who's never participated in our sports before. So I want to talk about the facility itself a little bit. That thing has been sitting there, it seems like, forever. I mean, they built it before the financial crisis. It sat empty for years. I mean, I thought that the next time I was going to hear about this facility is that it was being torn down. Like, it was a lost cause as far as I was concerned. I was shocked when I heard you were opening it. Take us through the process of how you approached the American Dream developers to get this thing moving again. Like, what did you say to them? What was your pitch? And, and, and then how did you actually bring it online after, after being dormant for so long? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up just down the road from here, um, so I, I, I too have watched the history of this project with great anticipation and then frustration and then disappointment. You know, it, it, it started it started as the Xanadu project, as we all know, which was primarily backed by Lehman Brothers. And, you know, when the, when the world uh, financial crisis hit um, and Lehman Brothers went away, the project stalled. Um, and it sat dormant for a number of years, and uh, it was the state of New Jersey that, that reached out to Triple Five Corporation. Um, so Triple Five are the owners and operators of the West Edmonton Mall in Canada and the Mall of America here in the United States. Um, so they have a great track record with these large retail entertainment uh, complexes. And the state of New Jersey uh, courted them to come and revitalize this project, you know, which, which eventually they, they, they decided they wanted to do. Um, how did we get involved in this? You know, from, from very early on, um, when Joe started Snow Operating, one of the ideas that he, he always had, and it, it stemmed from an event that we used to do with New York City Parks and Recreation at Mountain Creek, um, was this idea of bringing the mountains to the people. 
you know, and again, it goes back to that whole accessibility thing. Um, you know, we used to do this event every February with New York City Parks and Recreation called uh, New York City Winter Jam, where we'd go into one of the, the city parks, Central Park, Prospect Park, and um, we would we would make snow with uh, with uh, ski areas in New York. Uh, a bunch of resorts would come together. We'd make snow. We'd groom it. We'd bring our equipment and our instructors down, and we would teach, uh, you know, about a thousand free ski and snowboard lessons uh, during the day there. And it was a great feel-good event and, and something that, that uh, Joe and I really both really, really enjoyed doing. And and, uh, uh, and we looked at, you know, what they do in, like, Bryant Park, you know, or, or even um, uh, the Woolman Rink, uh, you know, these pop-up, uh, these pop-up ice skating activations that they do in the city that last longer than a day you know the problem with winter jam was it was just one day right so you do all this work and it was a one-day event and then it was over um so we had this idea well why couldn't we do that with skiing and snowboarding why couldn't we why couldn't we set up in a park for the entirety of the winter and and introduce people in the city to skiing and snowboarding um, so we started down the road of having those conversations with New York City Parks and Recreation, and um, there were some changes in management at the top, and, and those conversations went cold. Um, about the same time, we had gotten word um, that the team at Triple Five was looking for someone to potentially operate the indoor ski hill for them here at American Dream. We had been introduced to them through our partners Bert at Burton Snowboards a couple of years ago, um, so we reached out to see if there was a conversation to be had. And after about a year of negotiations and back and forth, we, we wound up with a 15-year lease on, on the property here. So you get there, you crack open the doors. This thing was completed in the late 2000s, set dormant all that time. What are the challenges you're facing in bringing it online? So for those of you listening that have followed the project closely, you, you probably know that one of the first things completed as part of the Xanadu project was the actual ski slope. So the ability to refrigerate the slope, make snow, um, and, and run a chairlift has, has existed for about 10 years. The, the challenge is nothing else that you need to operate a ski area around that cold space existed. So when, mm-hmm. when, we, uh, when we came to start looking at this project, you know, it was concrete and columns. There, there was nothing else built. Um, so all of that needed to be built around the, the ski hill. Um, not only what was needed for for the for the ski operation, but for the for the shopping center to operate. You know, you needed the ability for people to park and for people to be able to walk through common spaces and for there to be restrooms. And all of that takes takes time. So. Um, you know, that, that was probably one of the biggest challenges because, you know, people, people say to me flippantly sometimes like, oh, you know, you know, I saw you guys made snow in there 10 years ago. Like what took so long? And it's, it, it was more than the ability just to have snow on a slope. It was everything else that was needed to run the resort, um, that we spent the last two years building, you know, designing and then building. And were all those snowmakers, I, I know the, the Doppelmeyer high-speed quad you have in there was installed in 2008. Was that chairlift, were those snowmakers, were they working, or did they need some maintenance to get going again? Well, I mean, as you can imagine, if you if you let anything sit for 10 years, it's it's probably not going to be just uh, turn the key and go. So, yeah, we, we had to put a, a fair amount of maintenance into the infrastructure that was already here in place. But, uh, you know, to the credit of, of – uh, 
the people who were keeping this property secure and safe, you know, they, they did a lot of good things to, to help us. So the infrastructure was in pretty good shape that, that we inherited. And one question about that quad, because it's a little unusual. The towers actually hang from the ceiling, and I know I realize you weren't involved in this decision, uh, but what does that do to open up the hill when you have, like you said, that minimum space? Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of weird when you see it for the first time because right. you know you don't you don't uh, usually see a chairlift that doesn't have any towers. But suspending everything from the ceiling just frees up all the slope space underneath, so there's there's really minimal obstruction, um, and just maximizes the amount of amount of space that we can use for our guests. So I want to talk about your snowmaking abilities for a minute. You really have a great setup and that you can keep it constantly at 28 degrees. But what do you do to cycle that snow through? Do you make fresh every day? Do you melt some of it off on purpose? What's your whole process with making and keeping that snow crisp? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the most frequent guest uh, comments that we get is how surprised they are at the quality of the snow. And, and all the credit for that goes to the fact that we operate in a controlled environment. So we operate at 28 degrees year-round. So our snow never goes through any freeze-thaw cycles um, like snow would encounter in an outdoor environment. It also doesn't ever have any sun on it. So uh, we don't really get any ice in, in the indoor environment, and, and the snow kind of keeps its consistency, you know, that, that nice, squeaky, crunchy feeling under your feet that we all love. You know, our process for maintaining the snow is um, we close at 10 o'clock, around 11 o'clock, uh, when the last guests have left, uh, our chillers kick on, which is which is our air conditioning, our refrigeration. Um, we lower the temperature in the dome from 28 degrees, which is what we operate at, to about 22 degrees. Once we hit 22 degrees, our snowmaking system kicks on. It's all automated. Um, we make about a half an inch of snow each night. Prior to that happening, we, we groom the, the snow from the day. Um, so any of the, the bad snow, the snow that's lost its consistency or has gotten dirty, uh, we push that into a melt pit, which then gets recycled into our into our chilling tower. Then after we finish grooming, uh, we make the snow. As I said, we make about half an inch of snow every night, and uh, and then we come out and we regroom the the snow for the final skiing surface. So every morning you get fresh fresh surface here at Big Snow. And you don't anticipate any down days then to have to reset that system. You can actually operate 365 days a year using that uh, process you just described. Yeah. So to, to put the snow in that we needed to operate, it was about a three-month process to, to make that snow. Um, the snowmaking system is made for maintenance. It's it's not a very high output system like you'd see in an outdoor environment. Um, it's it's really just designed to put a fine coating of snow down every night. So yeah, we we uh, knock on wood. The snow that we have in the dome is snow that we are going to keep in perpetuity um, and just continually refresh it. And how deep is that base that you're riding on? Uh, it's about two feet uh, average base depth throughout. It's 5,500 tons of snow to, to fill the center. So you mentioned you inherited an empty shell there, and right now the place does have a very industrial appearance. It has steel rafters and large white walls. Um, I did read that you were eventually planning to paint some of that. Can you tell us about that eventual design motif, if that's planned, or what you're thinking? Yeah, so, you know, it's a work in progress and, and uh, continually evolving. You know, right now we have, um, you know, we brought in a, a bunch of faux evergreen trees that kind of give a more organic feel to the uh to the center. You know, I, I imagine that down the road we'll we'll probably add some 
some paint or some vinyl to the walls to, to dress the space up. You know, being the marketing guy, I, I kind of want to sell sell that to somebody. So right. you know, we'll we'll see what kind of uh, what kind of interest we get for people who want to have their brand put in front of our guests. Yeah, epic pass mural on the wall would look pretty good, right? Um, yeah, 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 you know, or coming off the lift and seeing uh, seeing what the the view from one of uh, the iconic mountains, uh, ski mountains around around the world looks like. Um, you know, all, all of that has been discussed and uh, could happen. We'll, 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 we're just kind of taking things one step at a time right now. So in that same Sun article, Joe Hessian said that the company was in talks to open a second big snow uh, facility at the proposed American Dream Mall in Miami. Do you have any update on that project or and when or if it could happen? Yeah, so Triple um, Five announced in January that the next project that they're going to be involved in is American Dream Miami. Um, it has a tentative opening of, of uh, 2025. You know, I, I would say it's a little premature to say that there is definitely going to be a big snow Miami, but it's a conversation that we're having, and things continue to go as well as they have been here. Um, I, I don't imagine why we wouldn't want to try and bring this to other markets. I mean, what do you think the potential is here long term? I mean, could we see a franchise of these things across the country? Because you have all these cities. I mean, New York, we, we do have easy access to skiing, but in a lot of cities you don't, like Miami or Dallas or uh, Phoenix or some of these other places around the country. Have you thought about that? And, and if this could be a, a nationwide sort of ski franchise, like the McDonald's of skiing, not to, not to say it'd be generic, but, but have you thought about something like that? Um, you know, not in any kind of formal way. Um, you know, I, I think we would certainly welcome that opportunity if it if it came to us organically. Um, it's it's a lot of work, and, and these these facilities are not inexpensive to build. So you know, you you have to have a real long term view on it. If, if you're looking for something that that's gonna you know immediately start paying dividends, it's just this isn't the business to be in. You know, it, it's I, I don't know the exact figures of what it costs to build. The cold space alone for for uh, you know for big snow what what you know Xanadu paid but I, I I've heard a hundred you know 120 million or more so um, you know it's 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 not cheap so I, I think that's been the limiting the limiting factor for why more of these have not been developed you know around the U S. Well, I'd be real curious to see how that evolves down in Miami and and how that's received down there. I think. You, know, you have a very large active population down there that uh, that really doesn't have the opportunity to try out skiing in any other format unless they unless they just are sort of used to traveling to those places. So that could be huge. Um, I want to talk about Mountain Creek now. Last year, Snow Operating took over as majority owners of Mountain Creek. Why did you think this was a good addition to your portfolio? Um, you know, Mountain Creek holds a lot of sentimental value to all of the partners uh, in snow operating. So, you know, I, I met Joe uh, in working at Mountain Creek. Mountain Creek was the first ski area I ever worked at in the industry. Um, it's it's the resort I learned to snowboard at. Um, you know, Joe and his brother and, and our other business partner, Scott, all grew up in Vernon. You know, they, they worked at Mountain Creek. It was one of their first jobs. Um, you know, Joe owes uh, you know a lot of who he is and and where he is in this business to what he learned at Mountain Creek and and the people that he met there. Um, so when we heard that they were struggling and that the resort was going to be filing for for Chapter 
uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy, you know, we we reached out just to see if there was anything um, that we could do to help, um, not with any grand motive in, in, in mind, just looking to have a conversation. You know, we, we knew the Kaufman family. We had worked for them uh, under the Movahill era when Joe was the GM and I was the director of marketing. You know, we, we, we always liked them. They, they, they seemed like good people. And we wanted to see if there was anything we could do to help. And, and that conversation wound up turning into a, a lease opportunity for us to lease the operating rights and then parlay that, re- that lease into an ownership position. So this now makes you the fourth owners, majority owners of Mountain Creek since 2010. What can you tell the skiers who go there often about your approach and how it will be different to make this place better? Yeah, I mean, you know, Mountain Creek has had a it's had a bit of a rough run. You know, uh, when when Interwest came in and purchased the resorts that were Vernon Valley Great Gorge and created Mountain Creek, they they did a lot of great things for the. Uh, for the resort in terms of in improving the infrastructure, the snowmaking, the lifts, um, putting a lot of good business practices in place. You know, one of the things that, that they did that hurt the resort was this sewer deal that, that often gets talked about mm-hmm. a lot in the media. Interwest guaranteed some usage around uh, around the, the sewer to the local uh, municipality and utility with the idea being that they were going to build a village. And when the village was built, those usage rights would be met. The village never happened, uh, and that debt, that, that $26 million of debt, has just continued to, to follow the resort since since that time. So, you know, when the Movahills bought the resort, the Movahills and the Kaufman family and the other investors bought the resort in 2010, uh, they inherited that debt. Uh, they also then took on a bunch of other debt to the resort in building the new day lodge and, and a bunch of other projects. So, you know, Mountain Creek for the last 10 years kind of was operating like, um, uh, you know, like a, a recent college graduate who, who got their first job and their first credit cards and they ran up a bunch, a bunch of debt that they didn't have the revenue to cover. So um, a lot of our plans for the future of the resort is, is cleaning up that debt, you know, the, the, the one of the major hurdles of the resort emerging from bankruptcy was getting, um, you know, getting the sewer debt issue settled, which we're able to do. So, you know, our, our the difference between us and everyone else who has had Mountain Creek in the last 10 years is, again, we're taking a much more long-term view um, of the resort. You know, we're not looking at Mountain Creek as an investment, something that we're looking to uh, flip or to, to make uh, a lot of money in a short amount of time off of. Um, we're looking at it for long term. It's something we want to keep in our portfolio, you know, in perpetuity because it's our home mountain. It's it's, it's the mountain that that gave us all our start, and we know it can be great, and, and we know it is a great mountain. Um, you know, it just it just needs a little bit of fiscal responsibility and 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 some discipline management, and uh, hopefully that's something that we can bring to the resort. Um, and we're we're skiers and snowboarders at, at our heart, right? So, you know, we we want to focus on the core business. We want to focus on making sure that the trails open early, um, that the skiing experience is good, that we stay open as long as we can, uh, that we provide a good value to our pass holders and and to our guests who come and ski with us. So, you know, we're 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 one of we're, we're one of you. We're, we 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 love Mountain Creek, and we were a guest before we were an owner. So. You know, we, we look at it through that lens. 
And since you've taken over, you haven't had a lot of help from Mother Nature. I mean, really almost zero natural snow the last two seasons. And even when we get natural snow, I say we because I'm a Mountain Creek season pass holder. Even when we get natural snow, it seems like this the storm almost always trails into rain. Yet, you stayed open until April 7th last year, and you opened on November 16th. I mean, that is a huge statement for a mountain in New Jersey to be able to do that. The snowmaking has been noticeably more aggressive throughout the season this year, as far as I can tell. Guns are still firing when I get there early on weekend mornings. What kind of statement are you trying to make about we are here to take care of this mountain, we're going to bury it deep, and we're going to make the season last as long as possible? Well, first, I, I appreciate you for for noticing that. Um, I, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about. You know, we're, we're focusing on the core business, and, and at Mountain Creek, we're a ski uh, a ski area first, right? That that's where a majority of our visitation and our revenue comes from. I think for a lot of years, um, the focus was on the shiny new things and uh, expanding into new businesses and and uh, you know and new new lines of revenue, um, and and maybe some attention wasn't paid to the core businesses. So making sure that we're doing trail maintenance work in the summer so that we can get the trails open earlier in the fall. Um, you know, investing as much money as we can back into the mountain um, is, is definitely part of our strategy. You know, one of our core values is at Mountain Creek is is uh, the idea of being resilient, and we have to be resilient in the market that we operate in. Uh, the Mid-Atlantic is weather-challenged, as we all know. It seems like the winters are getting harder and harder from from the perspective of if you love and snowboarding. We're not getting a lot of natural snowfall. They've been warmer than they have been. Um, so we just have to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to set ourselves up for success. And when Mother Nature cooperates, we need to take advantage of it. You know, and, and, and when she doesn't cooperate, we need to make sure we're protecting the snow that we have and not making bad decisions. And have you been actively making investments in snowmaking to make sure that when it is cold enough, you can just blow the hell out of it? Um, yeah, last year we put about $400,000 into new snowmaking guns. Um, and, so for those uh, of us who don't know how much a snowmaking gun costs, what does that translate to? Um, you know, a, a fan gun on average costs about $40,000. So um, I, I think we put in 12, 12 new snow guns last year. I, I could be off with that number, but we'll, we'll, we'll call it 12. For argument's sake, yeah, I mean we're we're in you know every year we want to invest as much as we can back into the the resort and um, the lift infrastructure and snowmaking are, are high on our list. We we've gotten four new snowcats since we've taken over at Mountain Creek, you know, to allow us to better groom the surface and 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 to groom more quickly, so that you know that helps protect the snow that we have on the mountain. The, the more time the cat spends on the mountain, the more snow you lose. You know, if you, th if you think of the analogy of if you have a pile of snow in a bucket of water, if you leave it alone, it kind of protects itself. But if you go in there and you start stirring it around, all of a sudden all that snow is gone and you just have a bucket of water. So, you know, it goes back to, as I was saying, just trying to make good, good decisions to protect the mountain and protect the snow that we have on it. And, you know, Mountain Creek has an interesting history because it, it was – two different ski areas, then it was stapled together, as you mentioned, and, and it's had a bunch of different owners. Can you give us an idea of what that snowmaking infrastructure looks like underneath the hill, the pipes, the network? I, I mean, is that in good shape? 
Yeah, the, the snowmaking uh, the snowmaking system at Mountain Creek is in amazingly good shape. Uh, we have a great mountain operations team. Big Al, who who is the head of snowmaking for us, he's in his 52nd year of snowmaking at, at Mountain Creek. You know, he's he's been there almost from the beginning. He uh, he knows the mountain better than anyone else, and and you know he puts a, him and his team put a lot of work and care into making sure that we maintain um, the the pipes and the snow guns themselves and the compressors and everything that we need to be able to to make snow and 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 they love what they do you know those guys the 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 smiles that you see on their faces when they get the opportunity to go out and and do what you know and do what they do um, they they live for it so you know these winters are hard on them so when they get the opportunity to go out and make snow they 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 try and do the best that they can I mean, they're doing a hell of a job. When I tell people, you know, people ask where I ski. So, oh, yeah, you know, I, I go all over, but when I just can get out quick, I go to Mountain Creek out in New Jersey. They're like, oh, they have snow there. I'm like, yeah. And and I always look when I'm going up South Peak Express. I look over to Tailspin, and it's buried like four feet deep. And and they keep that base like that all winter. So they're whatever they're doing, I don't know how they do it, but it's they're really doing a great job. Um, another thing that I was very pleased with when I first pulled into the South Base parking lot for the season was that I didn't have to drive my car half a mile an hour because you actually repaved the driveway, which sounds like a small thing if you don't ski there. But can you tell me why have you made fixing up stuff like this a priority? So the the way we run our our businesses, um, and it's the same here at Big Snow as it is at Mountain Creek, is um, you know every we have a senior leadership team at the resort. We meet as a team every week. And we and we look at we look at a dashboard. Our, our mission statement at, at all of our uh, resort companies is to enhance the lives of our teammates, our guests, and our partners by building lasting connections. And the dashboard is catered to the to the mission statement. So the first thing we look at each week is our team survey comments. Um, so each week we send out a survey to all the employees at Mountain Creek and to Big Snow, and we ask them. Three questions. We ask them, would you recommend uh, working at Mountain Creek to a friend or family member? We ask them, how valued do they feel as an employee? And then we have an open-ended question where they can tell us anything they want about their experience. We go through each of those comments uh, each week as a team. And, and you know, sometimes people just want to rant, right? That That's human nature. But when you do that, you'll you'll start to see similarities, right? The old saying, "Where there's smoke, there's fire." So you know things like pave the pave the south lot comes up very, you know, very frequently uh, in our in our employee comments. We do the same thing for our guest comments. So we aggregate all of our online reviews from our guests each week: Facebook, Google, TripAdvisor, and we go through and we read all of our one and two star reviews, and we and we look for similarities and comments and we look for issues that we can address and that's what we use to prioritize where we should put our efforts south parking lot is a great example for the last year you know every week you'd get comments about south parking lot so when it came time to deciding what we were going to spend our capital money on this year um, it was a pretty easy decision that uh, you know paving the south parking lot had to had to make it on the list you mentioned IntraWest, and they bought the resort in the late 90s, and they stripped that thing bare, and they put in a world-class lift infrastructure. So they put in the South Peak Express, the Bear Peak Express, they put in the cab, they put in the Granite Peak Quad. Um, 
those lifts are now over 20 years old. The South Peak Express had an extended down period last year. So what is your assessment overall of the lift infrastructure at Mountain Creek, and are you planning any upgrades or improvements in the future? Yeah, the, the lift infrastructure at Mountain Creek is pretty sound. Um, the issue with the South Peak Express last year wasn't related to the mechanics of the lift. It was a lightning strike, which took out uh, a bunch of the electrical controls, and we had to wait for those parts to be shipped to us from Europe. So that, that's what caused the delay last year. You know, again, we have a, we have a great lift maintenance team. Um, Ed Z, who, who oversees lift maintenance for us, he, he probably knows those Doppelmeyer lifts better than anyone in the world. You know, he, he is on top of the maintenance needs. And, and uh, believe me, if, if you sat in our management meetings, you know, he, he makes it very clear uh, when and where we need to spend money to keep the lift spinning. Uh, the reality is, though, you know, as, as great as that, you know, as great as that expansion was at one time, all of those lifts now have the same age, right? So mm-hmm. they're all going to start to to have issues at the same time. So that's something that we need to be cognizant of in our planning. Um, and then going back to the guest comments, you know, one of the one of the top negative guest comments that we receive is is around the cabriolet lift. Skiers tend not to like it because you don't get to sit down and, and get some rest in between your runs. You have to take your skis off. Um, it's great for weddings in the summer. It's great for mountain biking, but it's not great for for skiing. So one of our plans is to put in a new quad or six-pack chair uh, on the Vernon Peak. When we get to do that, you know, it's a little bit up to Mother Nature and, and you know, what, what type of winters we get delivered and how quickly we can put that money away to be able to commit to it. But that, that is high on our on our priority list is, is replacing, um, repla- not replacing the cabriolet because we'll still need that for our other businesses, but replacing the triple chair or adding another lift um, that, that is a traditional chair lift to Vernon Peak. Okay, so maybe running parallel to the cabriolet or, or replacing the triple um, yeah. to kind of complement that. Okay, interesting. Um, the, the Vernon base, moving to the other parking lot, the other end of south, it has one of the longest walks on the east coast without a shuttle. Have you ever considered putting shuttle service in over there? Because right now you have to park and then you walk all the way down 94 over that long bridge and then into the base area. It's not optimal. Yeah, we we do run shuttles to the outer parking lots, but um, you know even even when you are parking uh, in in the preferred lot in Cobblestone, it, it is a it is a it is a hefty walk from the parking to the base area. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, it's not something we have a lot of control over. It's the way the resort was laid out, and uh, you know the parking is on the other side of the state highway from the lifts, and there's really no space on the lift side to put more parking lots. So. Not not something that we can fix in the immediate, but uh, you know probably number two on those list of guest complaints that we get is uh, you know is, is is the arrival experience and and the the walk from the parking to the lifts. You know we 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 have talked about um, and and this is more of long term planning, but revitalizing the village plan um, that Interwest had and and and. Uh, looking to build out a true village around Mountain Creek, and maybe when we get the opportunity to do that, we can we can fix that issue. So you have a few ghost trails on the mountains, trails that were open that are now closed. Um, you yeah. have Pipeline, which was the double bike diamond that was the site of that unfortunate rolling Jeep incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Granite View, which provided uh, an alternate way down from this Jordan Double to the Granite Peak Quad. 
and you have a possum, which which gave you a kind of cut through to the Vernon triple. Can you give us any any sense of, of whether any of those would ever be reactivated? I mean, I, I can't say never. The only one I can say that will never come back online as long as we're involved in the resort is pipeline. We, we uh, you know, Joe has very strong personal feelings as as a, as a ski patroller from Mountain Creek who responded to a fatality on pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's a trail that it would be great at a number of other mountains, but because of the guests that we see at Mountain Creek, the the risk versus the reward is is just not just not there for us. So. Um, so for all you pipeline lovers out there, I, I, I hear it on social media every year. I'm sorry, that trail will never come back. Um, in terms of other trails, yeah, we, we you know, I, we're just getting our feet under us. You know, we're, we're in a, we're in a new position. Um, the resort just emerged from bankruptcy, um, with our, you know, with our new position as a, you know, as a true owner in, in the asset. Um, so we, we have a lot of planning to do. And it's, it's going all of it's going to take time. You know, right now our, our top priority is stabilizing the resort financially, uh, making sure we continue to pay down the debt, and uh, get to a place that instead of you know using our using our funds to pay off uh, debt, we can use it to invest back into the resort and, and new improvements. Um, you know, that that's what our focus is for the next three years. So I want to talk about passes real quick here. I just picked up my No Blackout 2020 to 21. Mountain Creek smart, season pass. Smart man. 230 bucks. I, I mean, it's an amazing deal. It's why I buy the pass every year. It's right there for me. It's a quick trip on the weekends. Take yeah. us into the thinking behind offering such a great deal on this pass for early birds. Um, you know, when it comes to season pass strategy, there, there's two schools of thought. You know, there's, there's high price and lower volume, and there's lower price and higher volume. And uh, Mountain Creek has always done really well with the latter. You know, when uh, when you can make the Mountain Creek pass an uh, almost a no-brainer decision, you know you'll 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 tend to sell a lot of them. And um, you know, for myself, when I was when I was a guest before I started working at at Mountain Creek and before I started working in the ski industry, I always held two season passes. I'd have a pass up north, and and that's where I would go most weekends. And then I'd have a Mountain Creek season pass. So, you know, when I couldn't get to my house at Mount Snow or up to Hunter or, you know, to Killington or any of the other northern resorts that I would go to, I had Mountain Creek to go to, and I'd go there midweek, and I'd go there on the off weekends. And, uh, you know, at at $229, it paid for itself in, you know, less than five visits and just made good math. So, you know, when we came back, you know, the pass prices at Mountain Creek had, had crept up uh, pretty considerably in the in the time that Joe and I were gone from the resort, um, and that was one of the first resets we did was to to get back to that strategy that's always worked really well in the past. So Mountain Creek was a Max Pass partner, but was unfortunately left off of the Icon Pass. Have you been approached by or have you explored alternative passes like maybe the Indy Pass? We haven't. Um, we haven't had. I mean, you know. I'll say that we we're not really interested in getting on the Icon or the Epic Pass. You know, we we promote those passes. You know, to to my point that I was just making earlier about having multiple passes. If you're taking a vacation up north or out west, I think it's smart for you to have an Icon Pass or an Epic Pass. You should also have a Mountain Creek Pass for when you're not you know when you're not able to get away on vacation or or make the long drive. The Indy Pass, we we haven't had any any um real conversations with that group yet and and I'm not 
I'm not informed enough to make any any uh, opinion on whether it would make sense for us. But yeah, we're you know our our strategy has been to add uh, partner resorts as a benefit to our pass. So you know we kind of have our own little network of resorts that if you are a Mountain Creek season pass holder, you can get discounts at you know a half dozen other resorts around the Northeast uh, just by showing your pass, um, and that that seems to have worked really well for us. All right, last question for you, Hugh. Um, you've been listed as a possible bidder for Jay Peak. Are you actively looking into buying that mountain? <laughs> well, I don't know where we were listed. Uh, I think a lot. I, I think a lot of people have mentioned uh, have, have been listed as potential buyers for Mountain uh, for Jay Peak. You know, I, I think we're in a growth mode as a company, snow operating. We we tend we seem to have a, a talent for resort operating. Um, it, it's something that we want to continue to do, and we, we would like to continue to grow this side of our business and, and uh, have the opportunity to have a, a hand in the operating of more resorts. So we're looking at a, a bunch of different opportunities, but there, there's nothing there's nothing concrete that I could that I could talk about right now. You know, it's it's uh, it, it's something that I think eventually we will continue to to go down that road, but I don't know if it's Jay, I don't know if it's someone else, or uh, you know, who, who know, who knows? The universe, the universe has a funny way of unfolding itself. It's, it's, it's done quite well for us so far, and uh, we're going to continue to see where it goes. Well, you're doing big things. There's no doubt about that. Well, Hugh, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. I will see you out of Mountain Creek very soon. All right, Stuart. Let's make some turns, and I, I appreciate you having me. And uh, I, I hope your audience enjoyed our conversation today. I know I did. Uh, so thank you for the opportunity. I'm sure they will, Hugh. That's Hugh Reynolds, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Snow Operating. Those guys are going to change everything. Everything. The way people learn to ski, the way they discover skiing, who's skiing. They've been operating way off the radar up to this point, but that's over. I'm on to you, Snow Operating. I know what you're up to, and it's good for all of us. The big resorts and their $200 lift tickets get a lot of flack for turning their back on beginners. Snow Operating is the opposite of that. They're creating what is nothing less than the greatest skier generation machine in history. And they're just getting started. Get more content like that as soon as it's live by subscribing to the Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com. Also follow us on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal and on Facebook. Hey, you know I'd like to know about everyone listening? I want to know three things. I want to know where you live. I want to know where you like to ski. And I want to know who you want to hear from on the podcast. I don't get good location metrics from Substack, and I'd like to know which state or which town you're in just so I can know where to focus my attention. Uh, I also love your ideas about who to interview. I've gotten some really good ones so far, and some of those are going to turn into future podcast episodes. Subscribe to the newsletter, reply to an email. I will get it, I will read it, and I will write back. Thank you so much for your time. I'm Stuart Winchester. I'll talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.